So there was this boy, he was about seven or eight years old, and he was alone in a hospital room. He'd been there for actually several weeks. Uh, had a serious illness. Uh, he had to stay for almost a month in the hospital. And every day his mom would come and visit him. But there was one day where his mom didn't show up. And as the day went on, later and later, he started getting sad. And, uh, you know, seven, eight-year-old boys don't like to be seen crying, so he ended up spending most of the afternoon with his head under the blanket and tissues as he couldn't stop crying because he thought, maybe my parents forgot me. Maybe they just forgot about me. I was that little boy. I was sick. I remember the day. It was over 50 years ago, but I remember it as clear as though it were yesterday. And I remember hiding under that blanket, thinking, sit, my parents forgot me. You think about it now, it's silly, right? But the little boy didn't know. And uh, it was very, very sad. Well, they didn't forget me. In fact, not only did my mom come, but they were late because she waited for my dad to get home from work. And both my mom and my dad came. And my mom had asked me earlier, is there any, any special thing I'd like? And I, I said, I'd like a, a toy truck like dad drives, you know, because my dad drove a pickup truck. And so they brought me a gift. And it wasn't this. <laughs> that toy truck is long gone. <laughs> but a little toy truck. And so I went from being very sad and alone to being very happy, and I had uh, an evidence that not only did my parents remember me, but they, they loved me. And this series is about wrapping up the year-long theme on grace and truth, and particularly this month we're, we're, talking, we're finishing it off with, the truth is, we need grace. All right? And tying in the theme of truth and grace to the message of Advent and the coming of Jesus Christ that we celebrate in Christmas. And it's all based on this verse, John 1, 14-17, says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace... For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus was God, eternal, as we stated in the creed. Very God of very God. But He took upon Himself human form. He came. Uh, And Christmas is the celebration of the coming of Christ. And just like that little boy that I was in the hospital room that was saddened because my, my parents weren't there. You know, it would not have been good enough if a nurse would have came in. They probably did. I said, oh, don't worry, little one. Your, your parents love you. The knowledge of that wouldn't have helped. I would have still felt alone and scared and afraid. It wasn't until they came that the, the fear was relieved and I, could, and I knew, and that, that's what Jesus did. He didn't just send a message of his love. That wasn't good enough. He, God had done that all through the Old Testament. 
He sent messengers. And he sent a promise. But Jesus is God coming into our world. And he continues to, to come into our lives. He wants to live with us. And that's, that's really the message of this whole year's theme. And, and today's message as we talk about the Advent over the next few weeks, <clears throat> that Jesus came just like my parents came and gave me a gift. Jesus came, come, came and gave us the gift of grace and truth. And that's something we can hold on to. It's something that changes our lives. All right, so Jesus was full of grace and truth. We're just going to kind of remind ourselves what this year has been about and and move move toward uh, understanding how that ties in with uh, Jesus coming and the celebration of Christmas. Jesus was full of grace and truth, right? All right, he's the fullness of it. And it says, and of his fullness we have all received. So, if you're a Christian and you've come to Christ, that, meant, that means that he gave out of his fullness grace and truth into you. So we, like him, he, need to be full of grace and truth. You know, Jesus will never run out. There's not a limited amount. All right? And so when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, we're called to live a life full of grace and truth. The first year we talked about grace, and we really uh, dug deep into what it looks like, what it is, how it's expressed. And the second year, uh, half of the year, we've been talking about truth, how to be people of truth, what truth means in different ways. But the goal is that we all grow and increase in grace and truth, that, uh, that as we walk out of our Christian phase, we better display the nature of God and His grace and truth. You have to ask, are we more empowered by grace to overcome temptation? Yeah, that's what grace is, is to equip us, to empower us to not sin, right? Are we better able, better equipped with grace to respond to circumstances or individuals that would formerly have upset us? Do we have more grace for life? This is the goal. And I'm asking you, you know, and, and we need to ask ourselves, uh, are we more equipped with truth and agents of truth so that not only do we live more truthful lives, but we also influence those around us? Okay, Christ came to build his church as ambassadors for Christ. We are to be agents of truth, truth communicators in our words and our actions and our lifestyles so that people around us and ultimately, our community is changed. The force of change, the means of change in the world that God is using, it's not governments, right? it's not politics, it's not guns, it's not war, it's the church. It's you and I living out grace and influencing others. But we have to ask ourselves, can we measure that? How do you measure if you're increasing in grace and truth? Can you set goals so that this time next year you've notched up in grace and you've increased in truth? What would those goals look like? I challenge you to consider this because that's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. That's what this whole year has been about. And if we haven't accomplished uh, the ability to, to give you understanding of what that means and to challenge you to do that, then this year has been a waste 
Okay? Learning more information about God is not the intention. That just makes us better Pharisees. Nobody wants to be a Pharisee. You know why? Because it's not fair, you see? You just want to be a sheep. Okay. Few people know what that means. That's an inside joke. All right. Uh, all right. <clears throat> so <clears throat> the Bible gives us an instructions about this, how we can actually change. And I love this. This is Paul writing to the church in Colossae, a city, a Roman city. But it was just a church. It was a group of people like you and I. Um, and he writes, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives. From the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. I love how it describes the good news there as being the truth about God's grace. And the good news, or the gospel, how it's tra uh, translated in many places, whenever you come across that in the New Testament, you know, that's not just talking about biblical truth. All the truths in the Bible are important. Would you agree? Yeah. All right. But when it talks about the gospel, this good news that came to you, what they heard and they understood, was something very specific. It was that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for their sins. He came, like my parents came, into the room to visit me and give me a gift. Jesus came. But the gift He gave was the gift of His righteousness. And He took upon Himself our sin. And in doing that, He enabled us to live His life. Because He took our sin and the death penalty that came with it upon Himself. He was the only one that lived a sinless life. And because of that... <clears throat> He was able to endure the cross and was buried. You know, Jesus did a lot of things. He, he, he taught, right? He was a good teacher. But the reason Jesus came was not just to give us good teachings. And Jesus healed a lot of people, didn't He? Did a lot of miracles. Is that why He came? That's not why He came. The teaching and the miracles were meant to draw attention so that people would listen and hear and see and understand that this was someone unique. Right? Because only God could live a life without sin. Only God could speak to a dead body and have it come back to life. And the people who saw Jesus realized this person is different than anyone else. All of those things uh, drew attention to the person of Jesus Christ, but it was His death on the cross that was a purpose for Him coming. All right? So the Gospel is believing that Jesus is who He said He was, and that He actually died. I love that in the Creed, it has the name Pontius Pilate. You know why? Because it ties it to a historical event. This, is, this really happened. This is not just a, a theory, an ideology. It's not just a belief system. It was a person, Jesus, who came, lived sinless, and, and, and chose 
to bear the penalty. You know, the, the crucifixion is, is, you've probably seen depictions of it on TV or heard preachers describe it. And it was, it was terrible. He was beaten, nails through the hands, nails through the feet, hanging on the cross, died a torturous death. But the pain he suffered, the real pain was not that, was not the physical pain of, of the suffering. That was just to depict in a way that we could see what was going on in the spirit realm. Because the pain of suffering, the guilt and shame of the sin of every man, woman, and child. Can you imagine? Have you ever sinned and woken up the next morning and thought, oh man, I feel so bad about what I did? Right? That's just a little bit of guilt for one little action. Jesus took the guilt and shame of all of mankind. And somehow, I don't know how this happens. I don't know how it works. You don't have to understand how to believe it. Believe it. I believe it. And that moment on the cross, when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the moment Jesus felt alone. The first time and only time in his entire life. He was separated from the presence of God because he took on the spiritual weight and the guilt of our sin. And he cried out, just like I was crying out as a little boy. I'm alone, I'm scared. Sin separates us from God. Not because God, you know, is uptight about it. It's because God, it can't exist in the presence of God. It's like an impossible Impossibility. And when we choose sin, we're actually choosing to be separated from God. And you don't think of it that way when you indulge in something that God says don't indulge in because it ends up that'll kill you. It's dangerous. It's harmful for you. But if you indulge it, you're actually saying, God, that's okay. I want this more than you. Or if you choose not to do something that you know God's calling you to do, you're saying, sorry God, I don't want you, I want, I want my own way. I want my will, not your will. But Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done, right? And then he went to the cross and he endured it for our sake. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that Jesus took upon himself. But because he was sinless, because he was God, the grave couldn't hold him. And he came up three days later. And, and, and he comes now to anyone who calls upon his name. He promises to come and not just to visit, but to live inside you. He said, I'll never leave you or, nor forsake you. He's not going to leave us an orphan. He's going to give us his Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. And we need to respond to that personally. How? By believing it. By getting baptized and then daily choosing to follow Him. If you're here and you've never made that choice, at the end of the service we'll have some prayer people available and you can communicate that you commit to follow Him. Or if you've made that commitment but you haven't been living it and you need to rededicate yourself, you need to come forward after service and get prayer and make that commitment that you are a follower of Christ. <clears throat> and the Bible says that when people hear this and understand it, it changes lives. How many want their lives changed? I want to see more change in your life. This is good news. 
that lives are changed. Everybody has ideas about how to fix problems, societal problems. God has a simple way. Follow Jesus. Believe this gospel. And for 2,000 years, it's been changing the lives of people from every ethnic background, from every social economic status, people all over the world. When they hear the message, if it's mixed with faith, if they believe it and understand it, their lives are changed. And if there's any area in our life that still needs to see change, we need to preach the gospel to that area. We live complicated lives, don't we? It's almost like there's different departments. Right? We have our work life, our church life, our family life, our personal life. There's all kinds of different aspects of our lives. And sometimes, maybe not you, but for me and for most people, there's areas, you know, that hasn't seen the light of the gospel. That hasn't been fully changed yet. Those are those areas we... we, we uh, we hide in, you know, when we're, when we're tempted to fear, to doubt, or to give in to des carnal desire, temptation, you know, or to get uh, angry uh, in an ungodly way, uh, uh, or tempted to indulge in something that we know is unhealthy. And so, if we have areas, and we all have areas in our lives, you know what you need to do to those areas? You need to preach the gospel. You need to evangelize those areas of your life. You need to ask Jesus to come into that room and visit you there. And you know when, when it's best to do that? When you're in that room. You know, when you're, when you're indulging sin or about to, that's the time to cry out to Jesus. Of course, staying out of that room is good. By, by staying with Jesus. But the idea is, what changes it? When Jesus walks into the room, everything changes. When Jesus is there, when you're struggling with temptation, when Jesus is there, he's not afraid of it. I just read a, a, a recap of the story of uh, Andrew Brunson being in prison. And he said for almost the entire time where he's in prison, he didn't feel the presence of God. But he got to a certain point where he said, I don't care if I feel the presence of God. I believe that he's here with me. And he just clung to that. And that got him through. Yeah, yeah. All right? And so sometimes you don't feel him, but you can believe him. Yeah. And that's the gospel. That's preaching the gospel yeah. to every area of your life so that you can see those areas change. Peter talks about this in, in 2 Peter. Um, now realize that Peter was one of the uh, disciples of Jesus, lived with Jesus. And so this was written probably within decades after Jesus rose from the dead. And already the church was experiencing the problems that we see today. He's writing to the church. He says, Therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Okay, the context here, I didn't read the whole chapter. But previous to this verse, he's talking about the truth that Jesus is going to return. And when Jesus comes back, there's going to be judgment. And he actually describes it that fire will melt the very elements of creation. All right, The heavens will be inflamed. And it's a pretty intense picture of judgment that's coming. And so he said, knowing this before, 
knowing this in advance, like, you're warned! There's going to be a day when Christ comes and we will all have to stand before Him. So be ready. Take care. Take care to do what? To don't, don't lose the truth that you were given. Don't lose the gift of truth and the gift of grace. Don't get carried away with error of lawless people and lose your own stability. And so this is a description of people who neglect biblical truth and grace and it leads to two, two types of error. They either uh, uh, they lose the truth and they become lawless. That means, or another word in the, in the King James is translated licentiousness. We don't use that much because it's a big long word, it has a lot of syllables. It just means having a license to do whatever you want. Thinking you can do whatever you want. <clears throat> and so that's not healthy. That's, 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 uh, that's an error that we're supposed to avoid. But the other error is legalism. Getting all religious. That's a, a, an equal but opposite error. And both of these things, if you, uh, if you fall into them, it means you'll lose your stability. So there's this tension that keeps us stable between uh, the truth of grace and, the tr uh, and truth. And they, they, if, if, we, if we stay uh, secure to both truth and grace, it enables us to be stable in our walk with God. We need grace. We need truth. But we need to walk in a way that we understand that we will have to give an answer to every aspect of our lives when Christ returns. Then the next verse he goes on and gives a command. He said, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this word grow in the, in the Greek, it means grow. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it means uh, to enlarge literally or figuratively, actively or passively. In other words, in, in every way, whatever way you want to use it, it means increase, okay? Or to grow up, mature, can be used in that way. And so we're to grow, we're commanded to mature and increase in grace and truth. So the good things about God's commands is that they're not demands. And there's a difference between a command from God and a demand. Because commands come with the creative power to enable us to fulfill His will when we receive the command with faith. God tells us what to do, but He doesn't just tell us what to do. He empowers us to do it. All right? If we have relationship with Him, if we know through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, if we have this active, living, grace, truth, lifestyle going on, when, when, we, see, when we see what we're called to do, we have the ability to do it. And that growth comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what faith is. In Philippians, Paul talks about it this way. Uh, he's describing his own experience. He said, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It doesn't say knowing information about Christ Jesus my Lord. It says knowing Him. That there was a relationship. Paul was living life with Jesus. And that's that's worth it. That's worth more than everything else on planet Earth when you really experience it.
For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Wow, what does it mean to be one with Christ? When two people are married, they become one. Bill and Mary are married, right? And in that marriage, we talk about becoming one. The Bible says marriage is an illustration that the two become one. But you know what? It's just an illustration. Because they're one, they're only, they're only one until death do them part. And then it's like, well, you still have Bill and you still have Marilee. And if your marriage is like my marriage, sometimes we're one. <laughs> and sometimes not so much. <laughs> right? But that's not the way we're supposed to live with Christ. Because one, death doesn't separate that unity. It's eternal. So that's how much different it is from the temporary state of marriage. And hopefully I've been married for 35 years. I'll be married uh, to death do his part. But compared to my relationship with Jesus, which is eternal. Okay, so that means whatever level of intimacy I'm able to attain with my wife is great but my intimacy that I'm able to attain with Jesus is infinitely more. And that's why Paul can say, compared to the value of knowing Jesus, everything else uh, is, is not even close. And becoming one with him, that we, we invite Jesus into every aspect of our lives. That there's no part of our lives that we're hiding under a blanket. There's no part of our lives that we keep separate from Jesus. That's what this means. And when you live life like that, and listen, this is a challenge, all right? Uh, I, I'm not here yet. I'm not there yet. I'm here. I'm not there. All right? This is something we learn as we grow in maturity to, to, to how can I include Christ in this part of my life? Because that's the only way you can experience the gospel in that part of your life. And if you're one with him, that means you're never not with him. And he's never not with you. The truth is, he's never not with you, even when you don't feel it. Because he promised, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And he goes on and says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. I have that down, because I never did count on my own righteousness. <laughs> Very few people need to be told they're sinners. Most people uh, already know that. Very few people need to be convinced that they're broken because they feel their brokenness. What we need to hear is that there's hope and that there's freedom from that brokenness. All right? Uh, and Paul says he no longer counted on his own righteousness through obeying the law, but rather I became righteous through faith. And that word faith is a relationship. When he came into relationship with Jesus Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, that he believed it, he understood it, and he walked it. So I wanted to review this way back. Some of you may remember uh, we shared this in January to describe this tension between grace and truth. And some people, uh, and some, uh, so this applies to people, it applies to churches, it ap applies to ideas, it applies to ideologies, 
Um, pretty much every aspect you can kind of use this uh, way of thinking to determine where an idea is or an action or behavior. So high grace is really understanding and operating in what uh, God's grace is. You know, freedom, love, power. Remember, grace is not just uh, uh, forgiveness, but it's actually the empowerment to live right. So high grace, where other, uh, and then there's low grace. People who don't understand or don't believe or don't operate in, in, in grace. They, they don't have a grasp of it. And then there's, <clears throat> i got to remember it's flip side for you guys. High truth, this would be uh, a high understanding of God's word and, and what's right and what's wrong and uh, understanding it clearly. And then there's low truth where you actually believe errors or you don't believe in anything at all or you don't understand what God really wants. And then if someone is living in an area where they're, um, uh, they're, they, they believe in a lot of grace, or they, they value grace, they value mercy, and, but they don't have truth. And so they're low on the truth side, the high on the love side. Uh, they end up being permissive. And anything goes. And right now, the church, actually not right now, it's, it's come up every 50 years to 100 years throughout church history. There's people who cling to this idea, hey, Jesus died for our sins, right? Yep. For all of our sins, right? Yep. So if you believe in Jesus, you can just go ahead and sin. Uh, no. That's not quite what it means. The Bible talks about it. You know, so, and when you sin, grace abounds, so we should sin more. So grace abounds more. God forbid. Because sin destroys us. Sin is that saying, God, I don't want you part of my life. It's not that, you know, Jesus didn't pay for that sin, but it's, it's that Jesus paid for the sin so that we wouldn't be entrapped by it. And so pervasiveness in a high grace, low truth is destructive. But then you have people that uh, um, may have uh, low truth, but also not a real understanding of grace. And they, they often end up apathetic. They don't care because there's really no motivation either way. Uh, either because they don't know or they've given up. This is often a symptomatic, uh, a symptom of uh, depression, apathy. And then you have people with high truth. Maybe they were brought up in a religious home where there was a heavy emphasis on rules and regulations, but there's, there's not grace. And so it just comes across as condemnation and beating people down. They're actually... Uh, uh, some people think that a good sermon is when everybody walks out condemned, feeling condemned. I'm like, really? I'm like, no, man. You want them to walk out feeling love, that there's hope. And the goal is that we move up in this area where we have high truth, where we understand God's word, God's commands, God's call, and we have a high grace where we understand that His mercy is new every morning and His grace empowers us to live right. And so, based on what we've been talking about all, day, all this morning, this the last 30 minutes anyway, <laughs> and that uh, 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 relationship with Jesus Christ is to cause us to grow in grace and truth, how would we move someone or ourselves? If we're, or part, say we have part of our life that is overly permissive. We don't, don't, how would we move that into the area 
If you're overly permissive, read the word. What was that? More truth. More truth. What else? Any other? What, what does that mean, more truth? Confrontation. Confrontation. <laughs> Study. So if, so if you're struggling with, temp, you're giving in the temptation, permissive, uh, in an area that you've realized is destructive in your life, you need to find where in Scripture it talks about that issue. Not just truth, but truth that applies. Or maybe find someone that used to struggle in the way you're struggling and say, hey, how'd you do it? I'm struggling in this area. And it's just getting open, right? It's actually confessing and, and, and being willing to deal with what you're dealing with. <laughs> and realize that uh, uh, God's grace isn't a, a, a free pass to do whatever you want, but it's actually the power to move into the area where you can live truthful and be filled with grace. How about moving someone from apathy up into the loving, what would you do? Real conference. Where there's a bunch of people who are not apathetic. Get around people who are not apathetic. Because if you're the one that's apathetic, you don't really care about it. So if there's someone in your life that, you know, they, just, they, haven't, they haven't seen. A lot, of, a lot of truth needs to be seen. You can't just explain it. So take them somewhere where they can see it. Or if there's part of your life that you've just given up in, again, Get around, because you catch it. And get yourself out of that rut and choose to get around people. I do think the best, best way there is, is relationship. Uh, and because they, you, you need someone to come into the room. You need Jesus to come into that place. And you need to understand that that's, that's, not, a, that's not a safe place. It's actually a dangerous place. It's probably the most dangerous place. That you need truth, but you need truth mixed with love. How about from con condemnation into loving? Someone's really legalistic, critical. How do you increase grace? Give them a hug. Give them a hug. And the Father Heart message. The message of the Father Heart. How else? Mercy. Show them mercy. You, know? you don't say, oh, those rules don't matter. You go, no, listen, you need to understand those rules through the lens of Jesus Christ. Bring Jesus into that part of your life or bring that person into a place where they can experience more of Jesus and understand the balance between the grace and truth and how they can find a place of stability. Because ultimately, every one of us are lonely little children fearful that we're forgotten and that there's no hope. But the truth is, Jesus is at the door knocking, wanting to come into your room.
Bill, could you close in prayer?